This morning's gospel is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger. They will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved, and I will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Gospel. Be seated. Let us pray. Loving, most merciful God, we thank you for this day that you have given us and for the opportunity for us to be together in worship as we set the tone, hopefully, for the duration of our week, listening to your word, interacting with your faithful, and then, of course, going out to implement in some variety of ways the service that you have called us to engage. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be always an offering to you. May you find it pleasing, renewing, rejuvenating. May it be of good use in the community. Bless, keep, and guide us now and always in your name. Amen. Been over this passage uh, all the days of this week, last week, trying to find and settle on a message that wouldn't just sound like platitudes. Sometimes you, you get an easy text. You get a text that you can just engage it's a narrative text. There will be ac action in there, like the one we had last week with the disciples walking to Emmaus. This passage is a little more nuanced in terms of Jesus trying to establish what role he is taking, what role he is holding in relationship to his followers. But as I start to think about where this text is intersecting with where we are in the world, what it's calling to me today, or at least what it's hearkening me back to, is a sense of mentorship, role models, conduct moving forward. When I grew up in the church, I grew up, had lots, lots of role models, lots of individuals who were there who were willing to share their wisdom with you, whether solicited or unsolicited, people who took from the pages of their life and would impart that life experience to anyone who would be willing to, to sit still and to listen to that. And I took that for granted. I took it not for granted that it was happening to me, not for granted that they wanted to help shape and inform my life with their own wisdom. I took for granted that I would have something like that forever. Because I realize now that we have shifted, society has shifted away from what we used to call role models, what we used to call mentors, to now what we call influencers. And influencers do not always have your best interest at heart. Influencers 
you can influence people to do all sorts of egregious behavior. And influencers has become this sort of uh, growing trend on social media where you will do more and more exceedingly outlandish and outrageous and egregious things in order to get those likes and those follows. It doesn't necessarily mean that the conduct that's being displayed is always in your best interest for those who follow and watch, but it is mostly designed chiefly to reward the person who is creating the content. So I think about Jesus, and he's trying to speak to his disciples and to tell them, look, everyone else who came before you was trying to mislead you with, with talk and vain promises. He says, but I am going to be the real deal. I'm going to be the straight shooter with you. That anything that the messages that I receive from God, I will impart that to you. Or I will not conceal that from you. And he uses this analogy as, as defining himself as the good shepherd, a shepherd who has the, the best interests for the flock, does not seek their destruction, does not seek to have them scattered, will not abuse nor mistreat them, but really designs to, to have the best care of the flock. And Jesus says that there's a relationship that he has with the flock that he has imprinted them with the kindness of his voice and his demeanor. And with that constant repetition, the sheep come to understand the voice, the, the tenor of the voice. They come to understand that this is the voice of the one who has our best interest at heart. So when he opens the gate to life, they can follow with confidence that this is not going to be them being led into their destruction. Now, Jesus uses this analogy, obviously, because he wants to set a tone, and he realizes that he is calling his disciples to inhabit this same likeness when he goes on, when he decides to ascend. Somebody's going to have to pick up this torch that he's going to pass. So this likeness of establishing ourselves in a shepherding role, a mentoring role, a, an, a role of where we desire to imprint those who are alongside us, those who will come up after us with good images. Years ago, I toss around a lot of ideas, uh, sometimes in, in sermons, sometimes at council meetings or in conversation about things that the church could do. And, some, some time ago, I've, I've forgotten because it was that long ago, but I haven't forgotten what it was that I wanted to, to imprint, was each and every one of us has a unique walk of life, unique set of life experiences, things that we have done, things that we do well, right? You could call it your vocation. You could call it the, the career that you had or interested hobbies. I mean, there are some people who are actually better at their hobbies and their pastimes than they were at their actual vocation because they spend so much time honing those skills. And I had once posited the idea that anything that we do well could actually be a teaching aid, could be a teaching tool, could be something that could cultivate not only a enthusiasm in a willing student or disciple, but it could also create an opportunity for us to be able to exchange the means of the gospel. So anything that we do could possibly become something that could be an evangelistic tool. 
I tried to sell this to my mechanic once. I was like, you know, what you could do is, I said, you could, you could kind of run a clinic here. You could, you could repair cars uh, alongside individuals and, and teach them these things for free. <laughs> I said, I said, consider it your spiritual act of worship. Um, the jury's still out on that one. But I did sow the seeds of the idea, right? I sowed the seeds of the idea to think that the gifts and the things that come naturally and easy to us are exactly the kind of things that I think God is calling us to share because it's no effort for us. It's no effort for us to be able to teach in these capacities because this is something that we've honed. This is something that we do well. Why shouldn't we imprint this? The reason why I'm calling the church back to the understanding of being mentors and being role models is because I think there's a deterioration going on in our fabric that people are, they're latching on to examples. They're the wrong examples, though. Last week, I talked about the, the sort of egregious nature of people escalating violence on seemingly innocuous things. This week, we have a, no, a whole other consort of stories about essentially the same thing. Uh, there, there, there's a manhunt going on right now for some guy who what, shot five people in Texas because they told him, please do not fire your gun off in the front yard. I can do what I want. And it cost them their life. Now you can't even tell your neighbor to tone it down, right? You know, the loud house party that goes too much. If you go over there, could mean your end, could mean your demise. So somebody out there is taking cues on how to behave from the wrong sources. That's the, that's the only way I can define it. The only way I can define it is that I don't think that the notion of influencers or role models is over. It's just that the role models and the current crop of influencers that we have are sending very, very sad and mixed signals. So it's time for the church to take back the, the priority and the prerogative of being able to set forth the example that Jesus first established in his ministry. That when he did his open-air ministry and he walked through the neighboring towns and villages and he found people who were compromised in life and in circumstance, and when he found people who were squashed to the margins of society, he didn't keep on trucking. He stopped. He stopped the entourage and says, whoa, hold, hold on, here's a need. Here is a person who is compromised. Here is a person who is either blind or lame. Here is a person who has been cast out because of wrong behavior, because uh, the, the societal forces of the day have pushed them to the sides and says, this person is unworthy. So Jesus slowed the entourage down enough so he could take notice of the individual who was marginalized, take notice of the individual who was caught up in plight, and then address the concern, love them back into community. That's what good role models do. Good role models take notice of those who have been caught up in bad example. You ever heard about those people who have ever, um, who were in gangs, childhood gangs, and then they recognized the error of their ways? Maybe it was because they had served time or because somebody, whether it was a pastor, a teacher, a friend, a grandmother, who finally intervened, and now they work with young gang members and say, you don't need to live this life. You don't, I, like, trust me. This is his dead-end, bankrupt existence. You don't need to do this life. And they go, what you know about it, old man? Because I used to run. I got the marks. I was there. And I know that it comes to ruin. And it's because of the relationships that are built and the relationships that are forged that individuals are able to, shall we say, move out of the rather nefarious and sultry and dodgy existence into a life of promise. Or maybe they're the first ones in their family to, to go to college. And 
become social workers, educators, attorneys, doctors. But it starts with somebody who's able to recognize that the information that's being fed to the, to the individual in question is not beneficial. Now, I've often heard it said from individuals, I've done my work, I've raised my kids, right? And some of you are raising grandkids, great-grandkids. So does it really ever end? But, the, but, but that saying of, I've done my work, I've done my time, is dismissive. And actually, I don't want to hear that anymore. I haven't heard it lately, maybe because I haven't asked. But I don't want to hear that anymore. I don't want to hear anyone saying that they've already paid their dues, that that's young people's work, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seasoned of age, and I'm weary, and my eyesight's dim, and blah, blah, excuse, excuse, <laughs> dismiss, dismiss. As people of God, as the faithful, as Jesus' sheep who were trying to become shepherds, who were trying to work on our social and, and, and cultural acumen in order that we might be able to convey to others that there is a more excellent way to live, that there is a better example, we don't get to retire. We don't get to resign. The faith work is done until we are stretched out in whatever death container of your choice. I say big or small, because some people are doing burial, some people do cremation. But either way, until we are laid out in the end, we're on the clock. And if you are paying any level of attention to what's going on in our world, you know, as well as I know, if not better, that the call to positive role models, the call to mentors, the call to individuals who want to learn and study from the life of Jesus and, 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 and enact that in their communities, that the time is now. It is right now. And whether you are mentoring individuals who are in your own family, whether you're mentoring children, whether you're mentoring uh, other adults, because adults are like running wild right now, they, they, could, they could use some corralling, right? They, they could use some positive examples. It doesn't matter whether it is kin or friend or stranger alike. The fact of the matter is, is that we need to have this message of the gospel override whatever pervasive message people are feasting on. Because I'm worried that the deterioration of society is happening quicker and more rapidly than any of us can even process, much less contain. Now is not the time for us to go to sleep. And it's easy for us to be able to say, yes, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, and go through these platitudes. It's, it's really lovely sentiment that we get in the 23rd Psalm. It's absolutely lovely sentiment. But what is that one passage in the 23rd Psalm when the table is prepared? Who was the table prepared before? It's prepared in the presence of your enemies. So the sumptuous meal is now sitting down with individuals for where there has been conflict, where there has been discord, where there has been separation. This is exactly the kind of feast that God wants us to sit down at, where the individuals, where there's been estrangement, where there has been misunderstanding. There's the table, but yet the cup runs over. Bless you. The cup runs over because the anointing is there. 
Now, if we don't feel like we have the anointing, again, I feel like we're not paying attention because the anointing is there. We have confidence. We have wisdom. We have access. We have privilege. We have these things, but we're also the kind of people who have been minding our own business. And I, I feel I have a real mixed struggle with when do I mind my own business? When do I engage? And I'm now starting to become the person who doesn't want to mind his own business as much as I used to. And I know that it might be, it might even lead to some disruption and some discomfort in my own life. And it might lead to disruption and discomfort in your own life as well if you stop minding your own business. But if we stop, mind, if we, if we stop minding our own business and we start engaging others, with a care for love and attention and enthusiasm and asking good, sensible, grounded questions. Is that the best approach for you? Would you be willing to open, to partner with me? Perhaps maybe we could find a better way, more beneficial way that benefits you, your household, your kin. I think that that is an argument worth making. I think that's an invitation that we need to extend to this world. And we need to start in our own. Look, I don't want to wait until some grave tragedy comes and falls in our zip code area for us to say, oh, dear God, now it's come to our home. Now it's come to our community. Oh, <sighs> I, don't, I don't want to wait for that. But it's only a matter of time, friends. It's only a matter of time before some powder keg of disruption and, and, and disapproval and discontent breaks out in our area, and then we're all running around because we weren't adequately prepared for how we might have headed it off. In fact, I don't even know what's breaking loose in your own households. I have no idea what conversations are taking place between you and your spouse or you and your kids or you and your grand. I, ha I have no idea. Maybe... This message is hitting closer to home than you want to admit. Maybe you're like, well, yeah, there's been some misunderstanding. Yeah, there's been some raised voices. There's been some strong language. There's been some silence. Maybe one of you is still waiting for the other one to call. Because it was their fault anyway, so they need to call first. Right? What's your phone broken? I know the phones are broken because half the time they chim chim chom chom right going on in the worship service. So I know the phones are working, right? We know that the phone lines are open. I used to love them telephones. The phone lines are open. You ticker tape counting as people are giving in their pledges. So the fact of the matter is, is that we know about discord. We know about we know about the need for reconciliation. And I will always, even if I'm wrong. Even if I'm wrong, I will always maintain Jesus as the quintessential reconciler. That his ministry, was his bedrock principle was to bring people into communion with God, bring people into communion with one another. And with the time that he had with his ministry, and even after his resurrection, before his ascension, that was his preeminent work. His preeminent work was to recognize the, the spots of frailty, the spots in the areas of brokenness, and to bring the healing and to teach others so they could recognize the signs. That's why he had disciples. He had disciples not because he was just like interested in rolling with 12 deep. He had disciples so they could, so they could, he, they could learn to recognize the signs of human frailty, human weakness, human brokenness, so that way they would know exactly what the appropriate response is. It's no different. 
We can recognize those signs of human brokenness, but the thing is, we're all like, well, it's not my concern. It's not my concern. No, I am sorry those people lost their life when they went over and told the man, don't shoot in your front yard. We got children out here playing. See, they didn't mind their own business, which is exactly what you should do, but unfortunately the results were bad because the person who was, who was in the shooter didn't, wasn't open wasn't open to the, the wisdom that they were trying to bring in. They were just like, there's appropriate places for target practice. But in this suburban area, in your front yard, it's not the right place. What I'm asking for us to do, because it may very well come to that, is to start putting our apprehensions and our discomforts, and put them on the line. You know right now that there's somebody who's going to hearken to your voice. You know right now that there's somebody that, and you know that they are in the midst of a poor decision. And you think that, well, I'll pray for them. And that's good. I'm not mocking prayer. Trust me, I like prayer. I think it's great. But sometimes prayer is a call to action. And when we pray, then we need to engage. It's one thing to be able to say, well, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go to my prayer space. I'm going to light my candle. I'm going to read my scriptures. I'm going to do my devotions. Fantastic. You do that. Don't ever change. But then what is the distillate of prayer? The distillate of prayer is, well, maybe now I need to pick up the phone call. Maybe now I need to write a letter. Maybe now I need to like, walk myself across the street and go and see this individual that I've been praying for. Maybe now I need to check in with them so I can pray more effectively. So I can pray more specifically. So I can gauge not with the fantasies and the imaginations that I've created in my mind. Now I've got some bedrock principles to act on. To me, all, this, is, this is what the whole good shepherd is saying to me. It's saying to me that what good is it for us to attach ourselves to the personage of Jesus and his wonderful example of showing us great regard and great concern for our well-being if it ends there? If it's not played out in our communities, if it's not played out through the living, breathing individuals who all bear the image of Christ. Prayer and study has to animate our abilities to be able to enact the kind of world we want to live in. And I know we don't want to live in the kind of world where you can't turn around in someone's driveway and you can't show up at someone's door and you can't get in the wrong car and you can't tell your neighbor to keep it down. I don't want to live in that world. And if that means that all of a sudden I have to engage people in a kind and loving manner in order that we might collectively get towards that world, then I'm in. I hope I'm not going to be the only one, right? Out there, shirt tails blowing in the weeds, and I'm like, come on, team, let's go! And I run out there, and all of a sudden I only hear my own footsteps. <laughs> and, and the sound of wind rustling. <laughs> I'm looking around like, what happened to the people of God? They say, well, they decided to mind their own business, William. But good luck to you, Pastor. We always loved you. <laughs> now is the time for us to, to rethink what it means to be the disciples of Christ. It is time for us to think about why it is we continue to bother with the act of public worship 
private devotion, why we sing hymns of songs, why we want to preserve and keep churches open. We have to ask ourselves, this is not for our comfort. Nobody keeps a church open for their comfort. A church is designed, if the content is good, it's designed to afflict us. It is designed to convict us. It's designed to remind us that, that there is always credible work to be done, and we are the people who are being set aside to do that. It can't always fall upon the one whom God had sent because he called disciples, and that already should have tipped us off that there was more going on. And we know that Jesus had the ability and the power to do all of these things himself, didn't really need us, but involved us in that because it's going to take many hands to lighten this work. So I do hope that, that some portion during the course of this week you will respond differently to that call of action. You will match your prayer with service in some measurable way. You will reach out to extend to either estranged friends or loved ones or difficult to love. And you will begin the process of healing. However that looks. However, that might look to you in your world. But in doing this, we are able to begin to advance that work of the gospel that was first started in the incarnation of Jesus. That he came to heal communities. That he came that we might have abundance. Not scarcity. Abundance of life based upon the access that he gave us. And if we don't use it, and we're going to continue to get more silly stories like what we're getting. More people being cut short over nonsense and foolishness. More people acting badly. More egregious things being said. More stupid outlandish behavior that just seems like the kind of thing that you should shake loose by the time you're about seven. And I am convinced that none of us want to wait until it lands on our doorstep for us to declare it a problem. We have to be agreed that some of the behavior that we have seen in our nation and in our world is a problem. And it's a problem because people have forgotten how to engage and how to interact with one another. We have forgotten our civility. We have forgotten that there is God in you as there is in me. We get all hopped up and hyped up on perceived indifferences, perceived injustices. Imaginary people are losing their lives because someone has imagined that there's some stored up conflict. Man got shot to death over a leaf blower. Did you hear that one? You guess that story? Now, trust me, I lived in Southern California. Leaf blowers, whew, especially the, the two cycle ones, they get noisy. It's not worth losing your life over. You agree on some hours. Let's not run it at 7 a.m., okay? Let's not run it at 7 a.m. Let's, let's agree on some hours. It's not worth dying over. Trust me, each and every one of us has some annoying behavior, and we wouldn't want to think our annoying behavior is worthy of a death sentence. As our spouse looks at us, and they go, the way you eat, Lord help me. <laughs> right? I mean... You can see these things have been, have been a concern for me. 
And I feel like it's a concern for a great many ministers, and you can only preach authentically as well as you know your congregation. And I feel like I know this congregation well enough to know that you are with me and that you understand this and that you feel it and that you want to hear these things said because you want to know that you're not going crazy. You want to know that you're not going crazy when you see this world that is so important and and has, has contributed so much to our life, and you start to say, my gosh, what are these future generations going to have to inherit? And how might we be able to turn the tide of these events? And it's, it takes a long time to turn these tide of events, but it starts with having important conversations along the way. But if we do not have these conversations, if we do not inject a sense of civility and peace into our world, then the conversation gets away from us. More time elapses before we are able to engage. So that's why I'm saying it is essential and it is paramount right now that we take these Jesus principles that are so important to us and we start to live in accordance with them. And we start to have these conversations wherever we have conversations, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's at the shopping market, whether it's down at the tavern, you have these conversations and you start modeling civility. Because apparently we have forgotten what it looks like. But when I see it, I'm like, huh, that's what forgiveness looks like? Shoot, that's that's pretty cool. Can you teach me that? Can you teach me what forgiveness looks like? Can you teach me what tolerance looks like? Can you teach me what patience looks like? Can you teach me what civility looks like? Because I... I haven't seen these things so long. I feel like we're estranged from our most basic principles of humanity. But if somebody could just, could just show me, <laughs> if somebody could just be patient enough with me that I could see these things, and perhaps maybe then I could, I could model that. Maybe I could live that. Maybe I could, make my, I could base my life principles on that. So who's ever in your sphere of influence whoever listens to your voice, whoever still trusts you, right? Because even that's starting to become pretty fragile. But if there's anybody out there who, who, who still likes spending time with you, still likes hearing what you have to say, start demonstrating these things to them before we don't get that chance anymore. If they're young, work with them because they grow up and they grow away. And they'll have other voices tugging on them. And the loudest voice always wins. The loudest voice may not have the kindest things to say, but the loudest voice always wins. So make yours a strong voice. Make yours a voice that cannot be ignored. Make yours the voice that sometimes is the only one in the room. Do not abuse that authority and that power that's been given to you, but allow God to empower you to go forth with those words of truth that says, I speak these things to you because these are things that I have learned. I speak these things to you because I do not want you to run your life aground. I want you to be able to live a long and vital and purposeful life. The only way that we can do that is to be able to convey that life wisdom, which was so hard won, to those who are willing to listen. And it might take more than one or two passes. So don't get weary, because God restores.